Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of Brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And finally, today, we are going to get into this mailbag. I've teased it over the last couple of days, but uh, we're going to start that today. I, I dare say this is going to uh, go over a, a few pods just because of the amount of questions we got in. Uh, so if we don't get to yours today, uh, we will in the coming days. But before we jump into this, Frank, we have got... A special offer for Locked On Bucks listeners. Uh, Postmates, which I'm sure all of you guys or most of you guys have used before, uh, giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. So to start getting those free deliveries, just download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA and you'll be able to get $100 of free delivery for the first seven days. So obviously, at the moment, with uh, things starting to close down and, and eruptions of curbside pickups and delivery and, and those types of things that we're starting to see, uh, this will probably come in handy. I will say this is for uh, listeners in the US, but uh, yeah, take advantage of that. If you're going to help out local businesses and, and get some food, you may as well stay at home and have it delivered to you and you can uh, save on the delivery. So locked on NBA is the code for 100 bucks of uh, free delivery credit for the, for the first seven days. So let's jump into the mailbag. And uh, like I said, we got a, a bunch of questions. And right off the top, there were a couple of questions that were related to potential NBA schedule changes and what effect this uh, suspension could have uh, on, the, on the future of the league. We, we went through these. So Steve Jankowski and uh, at Bucks Fan for Life, Dave, uh, asked similar questions around this. So we, we sort of spent the whole pod yesterday talking about that. So if you missed that, uh, jump back. Listen to that, and if there's anything we missed, feel free to ask the question again. Uh, but I'm going to start with a fun one, Frank. And you sort of spoke about the Olympics a little bit in the podcast yesterday. But at Nuclear Badger asks, how cranky is Frank going to be if the Olympics are cancelled and he can't get his every four-year hit of watching handball? Well, uh, this is a bit of a deep cut uh, in Locked On Bucks because <laughs> Eric and I have talked about handball and, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever actually even bothered watching handball at the Olympics. I've, I've seen handball uh, a, a few times. I, I used to work with a bunch of Danish guys and did, the Danes love handball. Um, and I, I totally understand the appeal of it, but I, I will not be... Um, that, that will not be a huge concern of mine if, if the Olympics get canceled and I can't get my handball fixed. But shout out uh, to, to Nuclear Badger for the reference. Um, l- well, let me ask you this. What are, your, uh, what are your favorite Olympic events to watch? Because it's kind of, I have to say, I don't actually really care as much about the basketball as much as kind of you might think. Like if Giannis is in the Olympics, I will care about sure. the, the Olympic basketball and I will root for Greece over the U.S. and any other team. I used to do this with uh, actually Australia came. I, I would root for Australia over anybody when Bogut was there uh, while he was with the Bucks. at least. Obviously he's, he's still, I guess he's still on the <laughs> He's national still playing. You can still root for Bogut. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of, kind of funny, but um, yeah, basketball is probably, I, I actually probably don't enjoy the basketball nearly as much as you might think as someone who obviously takes basketball very seriously. Um, I'll give you a couple of my, Kind of favorite. I'm, I'm. I generally do appreciate summer more than winter. Um, I. I will say this. I mean, I generally like. You know, there's sort of like the the period where there's all the uh, swimming events, and then there's a period where there's all the track and field events. I, I just love being able to parachute in to like a, a an Olympian's backstory. Get like the five minute. Here's who this person is, and why you should care about them, and why they have a great story. And then, oh yeah, now they're going to race for a gold medal, and you know, you just basically spend ten minutes. And if they win, you feel like, you know, you were there with them from the start. So swimming, I feel like swimming and, and uh, uh, like track and field, you know, especially uh, like the sprints and things like that are lend themselves well to, to that type of stuff. But I, I don't know anything 
specific that that you enjoy um you know are, are as an as an aussie i don't know uh you know you've got i guess some some options there the the torpedo the great swimmer yeah. uh of of back in the day uh what kathy freeman that's yeah. the only track like you know uh was she was she 800 meters or something 400 meters uh, she won the 400 in sydney which 400. is uh, was a pretty iconic moment for australian sports yeah. um yeah what what, yeah. what about you are there other sports you like or the, what do you kind of like in the olympics what are you going to miss if it's canceled yeah i definitely do think that um i always find myself i mean swimming first of all is 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 and it's similar to the u.s but it's a huge part of australian culture obviously i mean most people over here i know i i did anyway i was like put in swimming lessons from when i was like three or four years old and would and basically would be doing i, I did swimming lessons right and through until i was basically at the point where it went from this is an after school activity to no, we want you to wake up at 5am and swim before school. And that's when I like pulled the pin on swimming uh, and decided that it wasn't for me. But yeah, I mean, so swimming is always a big thing that I enjoy, but the, I, I love watching the obscure track and field uh, sports. So like your javelin, your shot put, all these random uh, events that you would never watch. And if I turn the TV on right now and there was a javelin, competition on i mean maybe right now i would because i'm desperate for sport but in, in normal circumstances would i watch javelin no but if it's the olympics and there's australian involved then yes i'm 100 percent watching it and like i said i mean the thing that's always interesting to me with these uh athletes is that i mean a lot of the time they've got a full-time job right i mean it's not like if you're a, a, a javelin thrower at the olympic level you're you're making huge money uh, in between i mean i know they have obviously the tour and that sort of stuff but i i just find the stories as you said interesting and hear about uh these australians that are over there doing great things uh and the struggle that they've gone through to to get to such a big stage so yeah i mean I, I would definitely miss the track and field i think it's always the swimming that's first over the first sort of 10 mm -hmm. days or something then the then the track uh takes over but uh, but also, you know, I mean, I can't say I've watched like a whole lot of handball in my time, but th this is the best thing about the Olympics, all these random sports that are in there. Uh, basketball, I mean, I always watch basketball because Australia is always the underdog. And I, and I would imagine if I was American and they just blast through everyone, every single Olympics or almost every single Olympics, then yeah, that would get a little bit tiresome. Um, so, you know, as an Australian, it's always been an interesting thing to watch because you're just like okay are they going to win their first medal and certainly this year in, in tokyo if it goes ahead i mean who knows right now uh australia's like potentially going to have their best team ever so uh, i would definitely be fully locked into that and i was actually hoping to get there my plans were to go over there and cover the australian team in tokyo so obviously i mean you know that's all up in the air right now but i, I love the olympics um for all the reasons you sort of mentioned so uh, I'm still, I still have my fingers crossed that it will, it will happen at some stage, even if it's not at the end of, uh, at the end of July. But uh, we have got another one here at Anil Saw asks, what hobby is each Bucks player going to pick up during the suspension? Now, um, I, I think, <laughs> I think we can start with Giannis and say that uh, he's trying a bunch of different things at the moment. Uh, <laughs> looks like he's getting into chess. Looks like uh, he's trying. Uh, to play the guitar. Um, honestly, he just looks like someone that is, as we all know, uh, always active, always doing things, always in the gym. And he just looks like he's going a little stir crazy at the moment. So uh, thoughts are with Giannis uh, during the during this isolation. But I, I don't know. Have you got any ideas of what other guys would be doing? I, I honestly have no idea what the Lopez brothers would be doing. Maybe playing with some Star Wars action figures or I, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I mean it's a bad situation for the low bros because uh, or the low pie um, because we know obviously their favorite thing to do is go to Disney amusement parks and obviously um, that is not something that we recommend anybody be doing right now. So um, so I don't yeah I don't know um, but those guys are gonna have to find a little more low key uh, way to kind of get their get their nerd on. Um, so I have a suggestion here. Um, you know, I think uh, Eric Bledsoe, uh, may maybe get a small group. Obviously, you got to be careful. You don't want to gather in too big of a group. But maybe grab a couple friends and uh, try an escape room. 
you know, deal with a pressure pack situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The clock is ticking. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make decisions. You gotta, you know, the, 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 the focus will be on you. You gotta, you gotta step up and make decisions and, and perform under pressure. I don't know. I mean, you can't, you can't do pre-camp practice to basketball really very easily right now. So with an eye on the playoffs, um, you know, shout out to blood. I'm rooting for you, my guy, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to brainstorm here. Maybe some, some hobbies, some new things you could try to maybe kind of get, get, uh, get his head right, get, get ready for that kind of playoff atmosphere. Um, obviously, not a lot of places you can go to have to perform in front of a crowd right now because by definition you shouldn't be doing that. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to say escape room for him. And on uh, Giannis, um, I mean, not just kind of – he tweeted the picture of himself playing um, uh, chess with, his, <laughs> uh, with his, his girlfriend Mariah uh, you know, Eric has written about Giannis's interest in chess, probably going back a couple of years at this point. Um, he occasionally kind of brings it up. Um, so not the first time. And interestingly, uh, Gary Kasparov and uh, uh, Magnus Carlsen, who are, you know, two of the most famous chess players in recent times, uh, they have both like responded and kind of tweeted, gotten into little Twitter stuff with Giannis um, offering to kind of play him. And I think Magnus Carlsen made a joke about, you know, being seven feet tall and being easy to dunk or something like that. He kind of made a, a joke about that as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're Giannis and you're the MVP of the NBA and you say you're interested in something, then all of a sudden, you know, the best people in the world at that thing suddenly are like, oh, hey, you want to do that? You want to try that? Um, so, so, yeah, maybe Giannis doing some online chess with some chess masters. That seems like a fairly safe thing he can do from, uh, from the comfort of his home home without, uh, you know, having to kind of break, break out and break uh uh, quarantine or gathering big groups. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, let's say this, I don't think I'm going to see, we're going to expect to see Giannis, you know, down at the park, you know, playing chess with random people. <laughs> but, um, if he wants to play with some of the best in the world, maybe they can, they can teach him something or two. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's any other, um, any other ones that came to, came to mind. I, I was pleased with my escape room blood. So joke. So I'm just going to park it there. We got, we got a lot of questions. So we probably can keep going. No, you've done well. And, but before we do move on, shout out to Magnus Carlson, as you said, uh, for his tweet, throwing a little bit of shade at, at James Harden uh, overnight. Well, it was overnight for me anyway. Uh, so he quote tweeted, obviously, Giannis playing chess and said, chess is tough. It takes skill. You can't just be seven feet and dunk over everybody. So Magnus, uh, cheers to you and James Harden in isolation there. Stew on that one, my friend. And uh, we, we await your response to a, to a professional uh, chess player after uh, that little uh, drive-by from Magnus. But uh, next one. And this is, I, I don't want to cut you off guard with this. I know we spoke before the pod and we said, I'm not going not gonna to throw anything at you, but this one I think is doable. It comes from a good friend of mine, Andy Menchel. Uh, great bloke, one of, one, of the, one of the top guys in Milwaukee that I've met in my time. And he said, what is your favorite Bucks regular season win in the Bud era and why? So I did think about this a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so... The one that immediately came to mind, so my criteria would be obviously, you know, uh, a strong opponent, uh, someone that there's at least some degree of rivalry with, uh, and then being a Giannis stan, uh, it has to be a game that just featured a monster Giannis performance, right? Like that would, that would be kind of the two obvious criteria for me at least. Um, and so in the Bud era, you know, we haven't had like a Giannis game winner in the Bud era. Um, so I would probably say, you know, the game that came to mind for me was the 45-point game in Philly last year, late in the season, which I'm not going to say it, like, wrapped up the MVP race or something like that, but it kind of, I felt like it kind of put an exclamation point on Giannis's MVP campaign because, um, you know, it was Giannis just playing at the kind of peak of his powers, uh, Embiid guarding him one-on-one, and Giannis just making shots, uh, making plays, uh, playing at a really high level defensively. He had a bunch of blocks. He had one of the, maybe the best block of his career for me. Um, that block where Embiid went up for a dunk and Giannis kind of came over from his side and like basically put him on his ass with a clean block. Um, so I, that game kind of jumps out at me because it was competitive. The Bucks were losing for a lot of that game. Um, you guys might remember Bledsoe got ejected for, you know, the most horrendous uh, thing, <laughs> according to the Philly, <laughs> according to the Philly radio guy, because he threw a basketball at, at Joel Embiid. Um, but uh, so Bledsoe was gone. I think Chris was coming back for an injury, so he was a little subdued in that game anyway. 
Um, and so that was really the honest show. And it was, I think, national TV, if I remember correctly. So uh, that was just a fun one and, and kind of put, you know, again, that exclamation point on, uh, on the MVP season. So it's that one immediately kind of comes to mind. Um, but certainly there have been obviously other big wins. Like I think the, the uh, December game against the Lakers this year, just with Giannis playing at the level he was at at that point and beating the Lakers, that was obviously, um, you know, a huge, a huge performance for the Bucs. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, there obviously were some great wins last year. Uh, as well, but those are just a couple that come come to mind. Any any others that that you would kind of want to highlight as as being special for you? I mean, you were obviously also at a bunch of these games, so I mean, it may also be a little different for you because I haven't been at many games over the past year and a half. Versus, you know, you may have some stuff that came. Well, it was maybe stood out just because you were in the building. You were obviously uh, in the locker room for a lot of these. Yeah, uh, I I had two, and they were both last season. And I, I don't know why they're both last season. Maybe it was just. Uh, the i guess shock of of how good uh this bucks team became so quickly but one that i always think back to uh and i've mentioned this a few times i, I think was the game in denver early last season so the bucks came into this one yeah. nine nine and three it was at the end of a west coast road trip and if if you guys remember back uh the bucks got really blown out in in portland cj mccollum just had a monster game in that one but then they were able to bounce back and, and destroy the Warriors and this was a pretty healthy Warriors team there were some injuries that came up through the game Steph Curry left uh, I think late in the third quarter but by that point the Bucs were already up by around 20 points uh, so yeah. you're like okay this is a statement win for the Bucs but then they go and lose on the road to the Clippers uh, a couple of days after that in, in a game that you probably felt they should have won and you're still sort of or I certainly was still in my mind thinking okay how good is this Bucs team uh, they've, they've got to travel to Denver tomorrow on a back-to-back this is a game that they really don't have uh, any right to win on the fourth game of a road trip and they come out and they won 121 uh, 114 Brooke Lopez uh, was just absurd in this one eight for 13 from three he had 28 points and and it was really an even effort I'm looking at the box score now uh, four of the starters had over 20 points with uh, Brogdon Middleton and Giannis also topping 20 and to me it just felt like one of those games where after watching that, I was like, well, okay, this team might be actually really, really, really good. And because we know that the Nuggets ended up being one of the better home teams uh, last season, obviously uh, a high seed in the West. So I, I just think that that was one of the first moments where after a little slip up in a game that they should have won, that made me sit back and think, damn, this team is really good. And then the other one uh, was the game against the Raptors. I, I believe it was a Thursday night on TNT. It was towards the end of January where they where they beat Toronto uh, on the road. And again, this was another game that was sort of confirmation that this team was really good. Uh, the records prior to this game, the Bucks were 36 and 13. The Raptors were uh, 37 and 15. So there was only one or two games separating these teams as we were heading towards the All-Star break and then uh, going down the stretch. And the Bucks really in the second half, I mean, it was a trademark uh, late second quarter into third quarter run from the Bucks that separated from the Raptors and, and they really blew them out. Toronto came back and, and made a bit of a push. But uh, again, this was a sign that this Bucks team was super deep. They could go on the road. They could beat big teams. And at that time where both Toronto and Milwaukee weren't really, uh, you know, probably believed to be contenders at that point, I thought it was a statement win. And I remember, again, watching that game and, and thinking after that, that this team, this team's the real deal. So we know, obviously, it didn't pan out with a win in Toronto later in the year. But at the time, I just remember those were two wins that, that sort of stood out to me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Eric and I tried to talk about, you know, kind of the statement wins or most memorable wins of last season on a number of occasions. And I think for a lot of people, I think that Denver game was the one that, that you know, people always kind of came back to just because of the back-to-back nature of it. And, um, just not expecting that level of performance, especially early in the year where you're still trying to figure out exactly how good uh, the Bucks were. Um, and it's kind of funny. I, I think the Toronto game that jumps out at me was the one where Brogdon hit those two threes in the last, yeah. whatever it was, 90 seconds, you know, to kind of come back. Um, that was a really fun game as well. I mean, ironic, right, that they win both games in Toronto during the regular season last year. And then, uh, yeah, well, you know how things went in the playoffs. So anyway, keep it moving. What, what, what do you want to cover next? So I separated this, these questions. I sent you a word, Doc, and I separated them into random questions and then uh, 
serious 2019 20 bucks question. So I got one more random one, and I'm going to jump into some bucks ones, uh, starting with Dante DiVincenzo. But the, the uh, this is a question totally for you because I don't uh, I, I don't listen to any other podcasts that aren't sports related. But we got a, a question from uh, at. Uh, where is this? Drogado. He says, do you listen to any other podcasts that aren't sports related? I don't. Uh, I'm not sure whether you... <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> after the Bucks lost to the Raptors last year, I um, it was a little bit jarring because yeah. like, I just wanted to disconnect yeah, yeah. from NBA podcasts. I just didn't want to listen to it. So um, so I, I actually went on a audiobook spree. I listened to all of the Game of Thrones books yeah. uh, on on Audible last uh, last year which is like a crazy i mean they're all like 30 to 40 hours worth of audiobooks per um per book uh and i think i generally listen to them i think one and a half speed so obviously that that cuts down the time a bit um but i think i got through you know nominally like 150 hours or some, something absurd like that like 150 hours of of audiobooks in in two or three months so that kind of filled up my summer so that's a little bit of not not really a straight answer because that's that's an audiobook not a podcast but um i know just looking through my pods um this american life i've listened to off and on kind of forever kind of since i started listening to podcasts so probably going on a decade um i don't love everyone but it's it's interesting i like the storytelling um uh from the ringer the watch uh is like a tv movie kind of pop culture podcast with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, um, which, which I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy Chris Ryan in spite of him being a Philly, Philly fan. Um, and they've, they've covered and, and we might hit on TV show recommendations soon, but they've tended to like do weekly recaps of a lot of the shows that I've liked the most um, over the past year or so. Like they were just doing the outsider on HBO, which I watched and enjoyed. They did it for uh, Watchmen, which, which I also really enjoyed Mandalorian, et cetera. So that's, that's one I like. Um, Recode Media um, with Peter Kafka is, I think, like a, an interesting, um, like roughly weekly podcast about especially like media and kind of the collision of like technology media. Like if you're interested in streaming and things like that, um, Recode Media is a is a good good podcast. Uh, and other other than that, I used to be big onto like true crime podcasts. I've kind of um, like a couple of years ago, I kind of exhausted a lot of those, so I don't listen to those as much anymore. I listen to Conan O'Brien needs a friend uh, at times. It's a little, little hit or miss. I, I grew up a huge, huge Conan fan. Um, and then I guess just quickly some other ones. Uh, the Indicator from Planet Money. Planet Money from NPR, I think is generally like if you're into sort of like economics and, uh, and you know, kind of intersection of politics and economics, that's generally a pretty, pretty interesting podcast. Um, and that's probably, that's probably a, a good start. Actually, uh, this week in tech, ironically, this week in tech, I haven't listened to it as much lately, but um, it's it's much more a technology focused podcast. Leo Laporte, um, longtime uh, kind of industry veteran. Uh, that's actually so it's ironic because um, Ben Thompson of both uh, Bucks Twitter slash uh, technology media uh, analysis. Uh, ben, I actually first became introduced to before I knew he was a Bucks fan, before I knew he was from Wisconsin on this week in tech, he occasionally would, um, would be a guest on that. And so I kind of became familiar with him and subscribed to his newsletter through that and then found out, Oh, he's actually a Bucks fan. Uh, and you know, so it was kind of a funny, funny kind of collision of, of worlds. So, um, and, uh, actually should mention as well, Ben and his technology podcast called exponent, um, spinoff of his strategy website, which, uh, if you're again, if you're into sort of technology, um, and I don't know to call Ben just like a technology guy is probably a little bit limiting because, um, yeah. you know, he's written a lot about coronavirus and, you know, when the Daryl Morey stuff was happening, he had some really interesting perspectives being based in Taiwan on sort of China and how China and sort of U.S. Um, cultures clash and slash, you know, how uh, how American companies do business in China and, and things like that. So. Um, yeah, if you're interested in technology, Ben's stuff is, is awesome, both his, his, uh, uh, his written stuff as well as, uh, his podcast. So anyway, um, that's probably, that's probably a good, a good smattering of, of my non, non, oh, and I used to do, uh, binge mode on, on the ringer as well. Um, originally for the Game of Thrones stuff, cause I'm a big Game of Thrones fan and then, um, I enjoyed their Star Wars stuff too. So I don't know what they'll do, what they'll do next, but they kind of bounce from one thing to another. I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. I've seen the movies, but they also did Harry Potter. So anyway, 
no, next question or do you have anything to add listen i, I don't have anything to add and, and, <laughs> and you really um you know i there's there's going to be an and i'm not doing it on this podcast because uh i i know that this could almost be a podcast in itself the tv shows we're going to get to the tv shows eventually but i already told you i said when it comes to this this whether it's a podcast or tv shows i'm just going to say the floor's yours um go for it <laughs> and uh no you 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 well and truly nailed it there but i said there was a different section for bucks questions uh so i i want to jump straight into and this probably won't surprise you and it probably won't surprise anyone. Uh, I feel like the majority of Bucks related questions when it comes to this roster was centered around two guys. Uh, you've seen the questions, so I guess there's no point in, in telling you that. But uh, the, the two players are Dante DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson. Now, these are two guys that, for whatever reason, the, the Bucks fans uh, are attracted to, they're magnetized to, and, and have plenty uh, of questions to ask. But I want to start with a DiVincenzo one. Uh, let's be honest, he's the guy that's been playing and, and the relevant guy on the Bucks roster this season. So this one comes from another Australian, a, a good Australian, at Benjamin Sewell. Uh, ben asks, what, uh, what is Dante DiVincenzo's ceiling look like? And what do you think he's worth when he's extension eligible after next season. Now, clearly uh, you're the cap guy, Frank. So I'm not, I'm not going to be stepping on your toes here, but clearly everything that we've seen and everything that we've read in, in regards to the stoppage, uh, what this might mean for further salary cap projections. It's really hard to, to tell what that overall is going to mean for the league uh, moving forward. But as far as ceilings go, it, it's kind of, a shame in a way that we haven't been able to, or we won't be able to see DiVincenzo continue to build on the momentum that, that he had really rolling uh, into the stoppage because I felt like he, once he came into the rotation against Orlando way back uh, in the fifth game of the season, uh, he really hasn't looked back, but particularly in this last month or so, this, this guy was showing real signs of being a, a dynamic offensive player and, and really improving in the areas that we spoke about that he probably need to in terms of touch around the basket, finishing around the basket, and, and also the outside shot. He was starting to show more confidence. He certainly seems like a confidence player. Um, where, would you, where would you cap his ceiling at? I know it's such a tough thing to, to say about a second-year guy that, that still is, is on the growth curve. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. My first thought from just a contractual perspective is like I think of a guy, and, and I've brought this guy up, um, previously when trying to think about like the type of value that, that Dante brings um, both, you know, kind of the obvious basketball stuff as well as sort of some of the intangibles he brings on both ends. But, um, you know, Marcus Smart was a really interesting contract because um, he's a guy that I think is good enough to start for a lot of teams. Um, but there's an argument that, well, you know, he, he's maybe more of a, an overqualified bench guy. Maybe that's his best role. And obviously with the Celtics, he's kind of bounced between bench and starting um, a fair bit. And uh, again, just sort of the, you know, again, just the sort of like unique dynamism that he brings, um, you know, he's a lot thicker than, than Dante is. Um, so, I mean, I think there's obvious ways in which the, you know, the, the kind of comparison breaks down. But, you know, again, between those two guys, just the way that they make plays defensively, play bigger than they are. Um, offensively, uh, you know, shots that kind of come and go. Um, you know, I'd say Smart was certainly took a longer time to find any type of consistency from three. I mean, Dante already, you know, 34% and has been rising, you know, which is respectable from three. Hopefully that number continues to go up. Um, but again, I just think the way that those guys are just sort of like winning basketball players, um, you know, Smart, I think he's around $13 million a year player right now. I think that's an interesting kind of just comp for me, just from a, a value perspective. And, you know, I, it, it's funny cause um, I can't help but think of Malcolm Brogdon when I think about DiVincenzo and his arc, because yeah. one, I think the best thing about um, Brogdon leaving is the way that it, I think opened up opportunities for other guys. And ironically, there are two guys I probably look at as benefiting the most from Brogdon leaving and they're very different situations i think one is chris middleton because i think chris middleton um just he's gotten that much you know that many more touches and he doesn't you know again playing with generally like a role-playing shooting guard like wes matthews on the floor um you know there's no question that middleton is the second option you know last year i think i think i read a stat that 
with the starting five last year, Middleton had the fourth highest usage with that specific lineup behind uh, Giannis, uh, Bledsoe, and Brogdon, which is kind of crazy to think, right? Yeah. Um, so I think I think Middleton being able to play and having that clear kind of number two status without Brogdon, uh, I think has made Middleton better. I think it's kind of put him in better spots, gotten him into a better rhythm. Um, and I think also uh, Wes defending the best wings typically because uh, I mean Brogdon wasn't doing that right like Bro- it's not like Brogdon was going to guard the best opposing wing and take Chris sure. off that duty um, whereas Wes can guard Harden he can guess Le- uh, defend LeBron and again he's going to have limitations at some point we saw that in the second game against the Lakers but um, you know he can eat innings right that's how I, how I always sort of think about it you can put him out there he'll give you an honest effort he's not going to get destroyed um, and the fact that he isn't like a high usage offensive player you're not worried about wearing him down on that end so I think that's also really helped Chris the fact that he's not having to defend the best opposing wing um, most nights is, is generally also kind of, I think, helped him be better offensively. So there's that, but I think Dante's the other guy, right? Because it's interesting. I mean, uh, and again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the Bucks are, um, you know, better in the grand scheme of winning a championship because they just let Brogdon essentially walk, right? They obviously got a draft pick for him, but they didn't get anything that um, they didn't get a player that, uh, you know, this year that, that they can use. Now, I think Wes Matthews and Kyle Korver are those guys on this team without uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, that's uh, probably, probably not. I don't think Wes Matthews comes here if, if he's, you know, necessarily going to be a bench guy or something like that. So again, there's versions of the world where Dante is still, you know, a rotation player and plays a lot, even if Malcolm Brogdon comes back. But that said, um, you know, I think Brogdon's departure one of the big reasons they have not missed Brogdon in terms of, you know, the regular season and obviously the success they had, I think is just the way that Dante um, is able to impact the game. And again, he's not certainly not the um, consistent high efficiency offensive player that Brogdon was a year ago. Um, Brogdon is not a high efficiency scorer this year. We've seen his numbers tail off dramatically, especially his three point shooting and his rim finishing have really cratered um, since moving to Indiana. But um, but I think it's been a great opportunity for Dante and, and obviously he seized it. So, um, so yeah, I, I think Dante for me is, uh, again, it's an interesting thing because I don't know that his usage can ever, I don't know if he has sort of the, the higher usage upside to be like the kind of score that's gets paid like a Brogdon. Right. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Like th- that's kind of one of those things. Like you look at smart, and not to keep coming back to smart, but I think, you know, smart was sort of viewed as like, well, I mean, you're not going to build a team around Marcus smart, right? Like he's not going to be your second banana or even third banana. Right. And I think that'll probably be the same thing with DiVincenzo. He's going to be just this like awesome, you know, I don't know, fourth, fifth guy. Yeah. And you know, you can't pay those guys typically $25 million a year. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see that that potentially could be a really good thing in that, you know, him being just like awesome role player for the Bucks, sort of essentially kind of, you know, keeps his value or, or keeps his sort of contractual, uh, you know, the competition for his services a little bit lower so that he'll remain affordable. Um, and, and again, I think he's the kind of guy, I don't, you know, I don't think he goes to a crappy team and is like a high efficiency 20 point per game score or something like that. Right. I think he's the kind of guy who's probably really built to be on a, a good team where he can be that, kind of change of pace shot in the arm type player. And, um, and I think for me, let me ask you, so let me, I haven't given you a chance to say anything yet. Let me ask you through this lens. Do you see Dante DiVincenzo starting next year, year after? Like, what do you think is, what kind of role do you think I'm getting? Cause I don't know for me if he necessarily even needs to start to be like a hugely valuable and impactful player. We're already seeing a lot of that. Um, but I think that's obviously also plays into, you know, obviously his ceiling as a, as an NBA player, his market, you know, and free agency, things like that. I mean, like, do you think Dante eventually starts with this team? And maybe the other question, what, what position, right? Because he has some interesting versatility that you can maybe make a case at, at a couple spots in the backcourt where he could start. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but I, I still sort of feel the same way that I felt, uh, when we were doing, I still remember having this conversation with you when we were doing our over and unders before the season even started. And we were talking about the starting lineup. And, and at the time, 
DiVincenzo wasn't really one of the guys we were discussing, sort of loosely throwing his name in the hat with a bunch of other guys. But I still thought that Wesley Matthews made sense as a starter in this team, not because he's necessarily better than anyone, but because he fits that role uh, to a T. Now, DiVincenzo, the thing that I'm still sort of trying to figure out in my own mind, and you sort of touched on it at the end there, is what would DiVincenzo look like as a player uh, if he was on a bad team? Because at the moment, I still think the things that he does are going to translate wherever he goes in terms of those intangibles, his rebounding, his ability to, to get deflections and, and, and do all the stuff that he does defensively and impact games without scoring. But I think that it's certainly a strong complement to a really, really talented team. And I like the fact that he's been able to come in with second units and, and sprinkled in there with some starters, but be that, that really complementary player to those guys. So uh, I've been pretty strong in saying that I don't think that there was any need to, to put Dante into the starting lineup. And there was certainly a, a sort of a smattering of that starting to come through from Bucks fans thinking that uh, he could potentially start ahead of Matthews or uh Bledsoe, but I just never really saw that necessarily necessary. And also, I don't think it was ever going to happen. I mean, maybe next year. We don't know what the Bucks roster is going to look like uh, next season. But I, I do think that he might always be a guy that is that uh, role player and, and potentially a very high-level role player. And if you're talking about contract dollars, I think that it's all based on the, the continued growth of his offensive game. And if he becomes a guy that's a consistent scorer off the dribble at the basket, if he becomes a consistent 35% three-point shooter, then I think you're in a situation where there could be a bad team that's going to overpay. And, and I think that that's interesting, or there will be demand from other teams to to want to pay him more than he's possibly worth. We saw that happen with Malcolm Brogdon. Again, I'm not comparing those two players, but that was essentially what happened with Brogdon. I don't think anyone really thought that he was a player that was worth over $20 million a season. But uh, you get your role and and everything you can do in this perfect situation in Milwaukee with all these star players around you can amplify what you're going to do in a situation with a, with a greater responsibility. And I, I'm not sure you know, whether Dante would be in the, in the same boat there. But this does sort of uh, follow up into the next question. We may as well stick with it. We may as well keep rolling. This one was uh, from Josh Erickson. And he asked, assuming... Everyone had their current development. Where would Dante be? Uh, where would he be picked up in the draft if we uh, redid the 2018 draft? So Dante obviously went pick 17 for the Bucks, and I'll just read out the names for, for everyone. I've got the list in front of me because this draft it's still very early, but there's some really talented young guys here, and I think that this is an interesting question and a difficult one kind of to, kind of to answer. So you have DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey Young. Mo Bamba, uh, Wendell Carter Jr., Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, Mikel Bridges, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Miles Bridges, Jerome Robertson, Michael Porter Jr., Troy Brown Jr., Zier Smith, and then uh, Dante DiVincenzo. So honestly, like out of those names, in terms of would teams right now be satisfied or or disappointed with their pick after two seasons? And again, it's, it's super early or a season and a half, really. I think that the only guys that there are there are huge question marks over, uh, maybe Mo Bumber in Orlando, although that's never really been, it's just been a weird fit right from the start. There's not really room for him to play. Maybe a Jerome Robinson hasn't seen too many opportunities with the Clippers. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. and Zaheer Smith maybe as well. But outside of that, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of question marks still. And a lot of these guys might flake out and not turn into a, a lot. But there's a lot of talent there. Yeah, I mean, I think if you did a redraft, um, I think you kind of hit on the name. So, I mean, we can count the numbers, right? Dante went 17, so Zaire Smith, for sure. You know, he just, again, bad luck, injuries, et cetera, et cetera, but, but he just hasn't broken through, right? So Zaire Smith is one. Troy Brown, hey, you know, again, he might still turn into something. He's very young, but sure. we, we haven't really seen a whole lot. So that's two. Jerome Robinson, obvious, a number three. Um, and then... <clears throat> Kevin Knox, I would say, would be an easy one as well. So that's four. Uh, and again, he's young, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, him being like an impactful, like winning player, I think is just so far out. Uh, and then Bamba, I think, would be five. You know, and again, is there some scenario where he, you know, fits in and figures stuff out? Sure. You know, but also just being like a more traditional center, he, he does maybe have a potential range as a three-point shooter. But, um, 
you know, just again, we just really haven't seen it. So, so that's five guys. I think you could say pretty confidently you'd move Dante ahead of. Um, and kind of the interesting thing is, you know, like especially as you view it through the lens of this team specifically, um, you know, would you actually want some of these other guys on your team over Dante? Like, you know, Colin Sexton, okay? Um, yeah. There may be a lot of GMs that would still pick Colin Sexton because he scores almost 19 points a game. And, you know, he's become, I mean, he's shooting 39% from three. Uh, you know, nominally there's, there's definite kind of good, good directional improvement from him. Um, but, like, is Colin Sexton, you know, like on this Bucks team, would Colin Sexton make you better? I don't know. I mean, I guess you could say, well, he's – ironically, I viewed him as sort of like a Bledsoe type guy. Um, coming out of college uh, so yeah. so you know it's kind of ironic because it's like well you know um, given the concerns around Bledsoe having a, a an up-and-coming guy um, who could maybe sort of take that role from him that that might be appealing but again I, I don't know if context is going to be a winning basketball player um, Mikkel Bridges certainly a lot of positives there um, you know he's bigger than Dante that's a positive but um, you know would I trade him for Dante I don't I don't think so um, and so you know, really the guys that I think are no-brainers, I mean, obviously Luca, Jaron Jackson, Trey Young, um, Shea Gilders, Alexander. I mean, those are, you know, Michael Porter, just given what we've seen from him, I think those are the no-brainer type guys. Um, but all these other guys, I mean, you know, again, like yeah. Aiton, I don't think anybody's going to take Dante over Aiton, you know, just because I mean, he puts up numbers and he's big and eventually he could be, you know, more special. Um, but, but it's interesting, yeah, because, I mean, again, like, you know, does Marvin Bagley, if he ever got healthy, would he actually make the books better than, than Dante? I don't, I don't know if he would. Uh, you know, Wendell Carter, I like a lot, um, but he has kind of clear limitations. He hasn't really become the shooter that I thought he might be. Um, you it's know, really, offensively, it's, it's so. really it's, like it's situational. Yeah, right? that's what it feels like anyway. Because, like you said, I mean, there's all these question marks. Like, is Dante Divincenzo uh, having a, a major impact on the best team in the NBA? Yes. Would these other guys slip in? I don't know. I mean, that, and that's that's the that's the the, the question there. I, but you know, when you when you rating the individual talents, I, I I think you're right. I mean, I think it's kind of difficult. I, I don't think that if they redid the draft right now, I don't think that he would move up into the to the top ten anyway. I, I don't think that that would be the case. I think he would be around that eleven twelve mark if if I had to if I had to guess if I thought that the GMs would do a redraft. But again, you never know. I mean, there, there may be someone out there that would say, if you knew what you knew now, and this is, this is why it's such a hypothetical question that might go, hmm, this guy's, uh, the things that he does uh, lend you to believe that they're going to be skills that are going to have longevity in the league and, and things that shouldn't really go away in terms of what we always talk about, the, the non-recordables. Yeah, and um, and Dante is also older than most of those guys, right? That yeah. we were talking about. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the guys we we're talking about were you know nineteen when they entered in the NBA. You know, which is basically what three, two, three years younger than than Dante. So that that's obviously also part of it. And I think you know we didn't mention guys picked picked after um, Dante. Yeah. I mean, ironically, the the guy. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not a draft guy. I was I was very. Um, underwhelmed by the Dante pick just because he just felt like he was a low ceiling guy. And ironically, I think that's, that's still probably my biggest concern about him is just, you know, he doesn't have like, I don't think he has like the upside to be like your third banana or something like that. But I mean, I think in the grand scheme of, you know, picking 17th, obviously you have to be very thrilled with, with kind of what the Bucks came away with. I think you look at guys picked after him that, that might be in the discussion. Kevin Herter was actually the guy that, that Eric and I picked in the locked on mock draft. And I think Herter, again, he's been playing for a bad team, but I think Herter is really interesting. I mean, he is a, he's a great shooter. Uh, and I think he's got, you know, sneaky playmaking um, and athleticism and, and kind of, I, I think there's a little bit of like Middleton potential with him. Ironically, they're kind of similarly sized, um, more kind of smooth and, and skill guys than um, like, like explosiveness type guys, but I think Herter, I still like a lot. Um, you know, if you put a gun to my head, I guess I'd keep Dante, but um, I think there's a very good chance that, you know, a couple of years from now, Herter is going to be a really, really good player that you'd say, well, it'd be pretty cool to have Kevin Herter 
Um, and I think as far as other guys kind of pick later in that draft, I mean, Shamit was picked 26. I'm, I'm fine with Dante over, over Shamit. Um, Costas, obviously. Costas, yeah, Mr. Irrelevant. Um, Devontae <laughs> Graham was picked 34th by the yeah, Hawks, yeah. which is kind of funny. Didn't end up working out in Atlanta. Um, but he's become a really good player, which, uh, I mean, yeah, I would happily take Devontae Graham on the Bucks. I don't, again, is he better than, than Dante? Um, th- there's definitely an argument you could make that, that he would actually be a really good player for the Bucks to have just because, again, he could be that kind of um, Bledsoe insurance point guard who can pull up and just bury threes all day long, right? That would be a fun thing to have uh, with Giannis. Not like Mitchell Robinson is out there um, as well. I don't, you know, I, I like Mitchell Robinson. Um, and then, Interestingly, D'Anthony Melton, I liked him pre-draft. The question on him was whether he would ever kind of shoot well enough um, to, to kind of be a, a really more impactful player. Um, he's probably the closest thing. To, he might be the closest thing to Dante Vincenzo in the whole NBA. And ironically, they were in the <laughs> same draft class. Um, you know, he's, he, there's a lot of parallels between their games. They're, you know, kind of like two guards that are sort of undersized. They, if you squint hard enough, you can sort of see some point guard skills. They are pretty good playmakers, um, really good kind of versatile defenders that make plays way beyond sort of their size. Um, and again, just go beyond the box score, but then also have some questions about their shooting and Melton shooting 32% for the Grizz this year. So, um, but he's been sort of an advanced stats um, darling as well in a lot of respects, but Dante, Dante is 57% true shooting this year. So he, you know, in spite of, um, the three point shot, not being a really high percentage. Um, you know, again, he, he does shoot some mid rangers, but for the most part, um, his shot profile tends to, to actually add up in a way that that gets him to an above average efficiency melt in 52 and a half percent, uh, true shooting. So he has not sort of made that, that jump, but he's also, I think playing really well for uh, a surprising Grizzlies team that is winning. And he's, he's certainly a part of that. So, um, so yeah, so uh, again, I, I don't I, like you said. I think we probably you know Dante's not a top five pick in a redraft. <laughs> I would definitely agree yeah. with you there. Um, but I think that that's okay. And and I think for what the Bucks need, um, it's remarkable. You know, if you if you told me you were going to get this out of Dante DiVincenzo, I would have been you know singing a different tune on draft night last year. Listen, there's a question we're going to get to uh, maybe next time uh, when we jump back into the mailbag, which is asking. Uh, what are the the biggest busts in Bucks draft history? And and to be honest, I'm really just happy that uh, Dante is nowhere near that because uh, you know when you talk about a team that's trying to contend, we talk about this all the time. You need these rookie contracts; uh, they can become so valuable to have these uh, controlled guys on on low salaries that become impact players. And that's exactly what Dante has done. So as you said, uh, the impact he's having on this Bucks team is perfect for, for what they can do. But uh, listen, I think we're only like maybe a quarter of the way through this, but uh, I, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. The only thing that I, I do want to mention, I've been mentioning the other podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network that you should listen to. Today, I'm going to tell you about the Lockdown Fantasy Basketball Podcast with my friend Josh Lloyd from Australia. And we had a question from at Packer Nish that said, you should make Lockdown Bucks, Lockdown Geelong Cats, for the for the outage and and i want to say that josh uh i've been talking to him we've been trying to get Locke to have a, a locked on afl podcast going um I, I think that our requests have been falling on deaf ears at the moment uh but we know there's australian football fans out there and last time i was in milwaukee uh i, I can't oh i went to cafe hollander and i walked in there and just as i walked in there had a geelong game on the tv randomly by chance uh, and they got my service. So I know that there's Geelong Cats fans in Milwaukee. At the moment, no one really knows whether that season is going to be suspended. I would imagine it would, but uh, for some strange reason, the league is doing absolutely anything they can to try and make this thing go ahead uh, with no fans, but it's it's just absurd. It's not going to happen. So uh, I'm not sure whether a Locked On Geelong Cats podcast would be uh, any more relevant than a Locked On Bucks podcast right now, but at, at the very least, uh, we could we could you know, get you, Frank, to be a, a big Australian football fan. Well, I mean, again, how, how do you think I watch so many TV shows? It's because I don't have an Australian uh, rules football team, right? Like, I, 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 yeah. I think I'm just capped out as far as, as far as content goes. You know, I've got too many sports, too many things kind of on my plate right now. So, I don't know. If there's an opening, you know, maybe we can talk game. But, uh, yeah, AFL, 
AFL has just never quite gotten on my radar. You, soccer is is kind of the international sport that I, I'm I'm all in on. So I, I just don't know if I'm gonna have the bandwidth. But but I don't know. Did you ever get Aaron or or sorry, Eric or or any of the other kind of any of your um, kind of Milwaukee friends? Did you convert a lot of people to to AFL or, or how, how much success did you have? Yeah, I, I, we we did pretty well. And also uh, Suki Hobson, who uh, obviously the Bucks strength and conditioning coach i uh, used to live in geelong and work for geelong which is obviously the city i live in the team that i support um here in, in australian football so uh suki like we were able to drag her out uh, to watch a game eric got into it uh, gabe stoltz our friend was came out a couple of times we always ended up at um balzac which is uh the wine bar just off brady that i always always ended up i uh, got a bunch of friends that work there and uh, they would they would let me like bring my laptop in and hook it up to the TV and stream games. They were always on pretty late, like <laughs> 11 p.m. So I think that there was no danger of um, you know upsetting uh, any of the the upper class uh, in Milwaukee that are in there to to drink uh, red wine and and not want to watch Australian football. But they let me get away with it. So uh, I was able to I was able to get a few people involved. Katie George, I'm pretty sure we dragged out to watch a game at one point. So we had a we had a crew, we had a squad going. Nice. Nice. Well, um, you know, uh, I can't say I've ever um, seen a bar just let a, a random uh, dude <laughs> just hook up their laptop to, to watch a, a yeah, sporting yeah. event on TV. So um, that that's really kind of next level stuff. I mean, you know, even soccer, right? Like it's on enough channels that you can generally generally get it on a, an actual television channel. But um, but yeah, anyway. All right. So let's park it there for today. Yeah. We've got way more questions and thanks for everybody. Hopefully uh, we are, you know, uh, blunting the loss of, of actual sports by providing you some, uh, some discourse around the bucks and uh, what's been a great season. And we'll hopefully uh, pick up, uh, you know, in the not, not, not so distant future, but in the meantime, um, we'll, we'll hopefully, you know, have our uh, 27 day podcast on uh, uh, this mailbag to, to kind of help tide people over. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a while. Like I said, we're only about a quarter of the way through. But Frank, uh, you know, if there's any positive to be drawn from this, it's that you're at home, you're not traveling as much, and we get to we get to hang out more uh, over via <laughs> via the internet. So I appreciate talking to you. But everyone, we'll be back tomorrow. I, I'm working on guests. I, I'm, I've been burnt before, so I'm not going to mention 